And let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is no holds barred. The good, the bad, the ugly, the sinful is all there. But behind all that, we know that there is a God who is full of love, full of grace, also full of truth and justice. And we see through history how you work things out. Loving God, just God, grace, sinful man. And that we are loved by you. And so God, I want to pray now that you would prepare each heart to receive your word. I pray for Pastor Chi Ming, God, that you would sanctify the meditations of his heart. You would anoint him to preach your word so that the church may be built up. All of us, all of us edified in the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good afternoon. Hello. Good afternoon. Okay, still awake, okay? I know it's lunchtime. Keep awake um, as we listen to the Word of God. I'm so glad that um, Pastor Kokfai and also Elder Edwin took a, a break last two weeks to talk about an issue about our church in terms of community life, how we need to care for one another. It is a very important topic. Uh, if you missed it, please go to the website to, to download and to listen to it. Uh, uh, there's a password there, Christ-Centered One, for us who are here. And please go and listen to it because it's very helpful. And I continue to, as a way of life, to care for one another, to look out for people who are not here. The, the, the central message is that we want to, that none should perish, that we will really take care of everybody. Talk to everybody, okay? Take care of everybody. And then um, the church also will be working on this area as a leadership, we'll be working on how can we grow. Uh, there'll be structures in place to help you so that you know people's need and then how you can care for them. Now we are going to a new series, a new series called The First Kings. First King. Uh, those of you who do not know, we are new. First King is in the Old Testament, somewhere in the middle of the Old Testament. Okay. And I don't know whether you encounter this, your friends. For me, sometimes I hear that from my son. He will come in and say that, oh, he ran out of the door. He will be, will be having a conversation. Suddenly he said, he ran out of the door. I said, ran out of the door? What? Who? When? Oh, he ran out of the door and then he ran away. What do you mean? Give me more context. Give me more context. Give me more ideas. Oh, he had a quarrel with a friend and he ran out of the door. But where? In the classroom. So, when I ask for more context, it gives me a better picture of the story that he's going to tell me. So, today, as we go into the book of First Kings, Let's look at it in the context of the Bible, of the narrative story. So we're going to look into it. Let me give you some background. Next. First of all, you look at God's promise to a person called Abraham. He's the first Jew. God's promise. God promised him three things. First of all, God said, your descendants will be numerous and you will form a great nation. The first one. Second one, they will have a land, a special land. Third one, God will bless them and through them will bless the nations around them. So God have a promise. Right from the beginning, God have a promise for His people. Next. 
And let's look at Israel's journey as, as, as he experienced this promise. First of all, it's the Patriarchs. These are the, the, the key fathers of the Jews. First, first, it started with Abraham, then his son Isaac, the promise passed down, then to his grandson Jacob, then the great-grandson, which is Joseph. The blessing continued. And the nations of Israel grow. There will be a lot of people, and then they went all the way to Egypt. Unfortunately, they were enslaved. Next, the Lord brought them out of Egypt through a great deliverance and into a promised land, which today we call Israel, the promised land there. And when they arrived at Israel, God governed the people through leaders called the judges. The judges will guide them to lead them at different times of the And then they look around, they say, every nation has kings. We also want to have kings. So they ask for kings. And God gave them a king. The first king of Israel is who? Saul. Saul, I mentioned in the past, we saw Saul have no heart for God. The second king of Israel, it is David. He have a great heart for God. And the third king, which is the focus of first kings, the first four chapter, which is the king Solomon, is half-hearted for God. We're going to explore this more. And then the first king, King David, God have a promise for him. Can you remember the promise that God for him? The promise is what? First, is that one of his descendants will always occupy the throne of Israel, which ultimately fulfilled in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. One of his descendants will always occupy the throne of Israel. The second is that one of his descendants will build the temple of God. Will build the temple of God. And turn out to be who? King Solomon. King Solomon is a tangible uh, fulfillment of these two uh, promises that God made for made to David. And then came the time of King Solomon. It was the golden age of Israel. It reached its height. It's height there. As far as it gets, nothing gets better to it. From then onwards until today, Israel has never been such a glorious day. Great empire, great wisdom, great riches, great political power, everything, reign, worship were all at its peak there. It's called the golden era. And then you get that idea that, hey, maybe, maybe Solomon's rule is going to, at last, God's going to fulfill his promises to Solomon's rule. But then the tragedy is that, what? The golden age did not last. It is not a fulfillment, but a foreshadowing of what is going to come. That's when we go into Jesus, Solomon. The fulfillment, ultimately, we will find it in Jesus Christ. This chapter will point us to Jesus Christ. It's like, you're looking at the travel brochure. Before you go travel, you look at brochure, you get the website, and then you look at it, and then you check it out, and then you, you imagine, you get excited about it, but that's not the real thing. The real thing is going to experience. So, now we look at Solomon. You see it, it is glory. It's not the real thing, but it's going to point to the real thing. So, we're going to look at this guy called King Solomon. Next. If you look at King Solomon, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind when the king, king of King Solomon? Somebody mentioned wives or women. What else? Huh? Wisdom. What else? Wealth. Third W. Give me a fourth W. A women already. Third already. Worship. Ah, today we're going to look at this. Worship. 
four W's, all about, uh, all about King Solomon. Unfortunately, someone said this, uh, Frederick Buchner, he's a well-known Presbyterian theologian, he said this, King Solomon was among the wisest fools who ever wore a crown. The wisest fool. What a contradiction. But that's King Solomon, sad to say. King David, his father, was the ideal leader where all the subsequent kings were measured against. But King Solomon, no. There's, people don't measure against King Solomon. Why? Because he was not a good example here. We're going to learn that from the first three sermons. Today, I will start it off. Now, if you have a Bible, if you can just turn to 1 Kings. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 4. Chapter 1 onwards. Let me give you some overview about the first four chapters which we're going to cover today. First King chapter 1 to 2. Chapter 1 to 2 describes how Solomon becomes a king. Okay? He was just a prince and how he became a king. And then chapter 3 to 4 talks about his reign, the first three years of his reign. We're going to look at that. Now let's look at chapter 1. It started off with a crisis. There was a power struggle. If you look at history, uh, you look at history throughout history, uh, my son's favorite now is uh, no, 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 it was recently, but there was this Korean show about uh, about this. Um, suddenly, it just slipped my mind about this power about oh, Huang Ho, Qi Huang Ho, yes, Qi Huang Ho, Empress Qi. What happened? It's all about when a king passed away, the next, there will be a power vacuum and then there will be war, fighting, conspiracy among the sons who are going to take power. Same thing happened here uh, with uh, the, the kingdom of Israel. David was weak, about to die. So, he's about to run away. He about to give up his throne. And then there was a guy, one of his sons, which is the half-brother of Solomon. His name is Adonijah. Adonijah decided to set himself up as a king. He go around, he found the king's commander, Joab, and then another priest, politic, uh, army leader, Joab, and then a religious leader, Abiata, together with a few group of people, they declare, Hail King Adonijah. He want to take over. He want to take over to become king. And guess what? Who become panic? Solomon and his mother Bathsheba. Why? If his brother become a king, guess who, whose head will first to roll? Solomon and his mother because competitor to the throne. So together, they came together. So uh, Bathsheba went on to King David and tell King David, you have appointed Solomon to be the king, right? Yes. How come this guy, Adonijah, is doing something? Can you do something about it? Straight away, King uh, Solomon, uh, King David uh, began to appoint, officially appoint Solomon to be the king. Put him on the on his, a mule and then walk around and declare. So uh, Adonijah's conspiracy failed, but he was spared. He was spared. And now we look at how Solomon reigned. First of all, let's look at the first one, Solomon, the strategist. What, how he started off the strategist. He started off by dealing with his enemy. Before David died, David 
told Solomon, these are the people you need to be aware of. And guess what? Solomon took care of one by one. The first one, his half-brother, Adonijah. Adonijah tried to be king, right? Failed. And then next moment, Adonijah went to Bathsheba, which is the mother of Solomon. He said, can I have King David's last concubine as my wife? When he asked for that, what is he doing? He's asking for the kingdom. When you get the king's last concubine, it's like you're going to become the king. And he was exposed, he was executed. Next, Abiata, the priest. He also came, he was removed from the priesthood, he was spared. And then came Joab, not Joash, huh? but Joab. The commander of uh, the army, he failed at them, he was also executed. And then there was this guy called Shimei. Shimei was an accuser of David. Since David's day, he always accused David of taking over the throne of Saul. So keep on doing that. And then he was placed under house arrest. He said, if you break the house arrest, you'll be killed. He survived for three years. One day, he decided to leave the city and he was captured and he was executed. So Solomon did it in a very worldly way. He executed all his enemies, consolidated his power, he became the king. That's the first thing he did. He dealt with his enemy. Second thing, came Solomon the peacemaker. Now, if you have the Bible, turn to chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished the building, his, building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Solomon's name in Hebrew means peace. Peace. During his kingdom, there was lots of peace. For David, in order to accomplish peace, David fight the enemy. He conquered. But Solomon did a different way. Political alliance. How? I marry your daughters. The first one was Egypt. At that time, the fact that Egypt sent the daughter over means Egypt is down on political power below Israel. That's why they sent over. It's not the other way around. So he married this for political reason. Marrying a foreign wives, it's prohibited from the Old Testament. The king knew because the, God already mentioned, these foreign wives are going to take away your heart. Don't marry foreign wives. But for Solomon, no. I'm going to marry foreign wives. I'm not just going to marry one. I'm not going to just marry two. I'm not going to marry three. I'm not going to marry four. I'm not going to marry ten. Guess how many he married? All the marriage alliances. How many? 600. Near there, 700. I'm not sure whether he makes 700 political alliances. Maybe 100. The rest is... He got into a habit. Okay, let's marry one more. Okay, you will know more about how many concubines, oh, concubine, not concubines. He has. The, 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 third, the third sermon, you will come into that. Because deep down in Solomon's idea, he desired what? He desired peace, he desired security, he desired power. And the way he accomplished it is through what? Marriage alliance. The end justifies the means. The end is good, so the means, I don't care. So that was the back of the thinking of Solomon when he consolidated his power. He made all these things. He started off Later on, you'll notice he started off well, but something is lurking below the surface. 
Next, look at Solomon the worshipper. He's a strategist, and then he's a peacemaker, but he has a heart towards God. He was a worshipper. Look at verse 3 to 4. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instruction given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. He started off well. He had something that had deposited by his father, and he wanted to follow his father to worship the Lord. But as I mentioned just now, something else is working below the surface. Notice here, sacrifices on the high places. What are these high places? You see, before Israel occupied the land, they were Canaanites. These Canaanites worship other gods. So where do they worship? They worship on the high, higher ground, the hilltop. Why? Because they believe the higher you, you are, the closer to heaven. So they worship. They, so when Israel came, there was no temple. So where do they worship? Where do they offer the sacrifice? They go to all these high places. It was prohibited. However, it was endured because the temple was not built. And the original place of the ark, which is Shiloh, has been destroyed. So it was endured. So at that time, Solomon started off well. He wanted to worship the Lord. Next, we see Solomon the discerner. This is the part of Solomon that all of us are familiar with. The thing that he asked for, that is wisdom. After he worshipped the Lord, God appeared to him in a dream and gave him a blank check. A blank check. Let's read at it. Let's look at it. First King chapter 3, verse 5. At Gibeah, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask whatever you want me to give you. Say, ask anything. What did he ask for? Let's listen. Chapter 3, verse 7 to 9. Now, Lord, God, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count on number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern these great people of yours? He asked for a discerning heart, a wisdom. Instead of asking for wealth, instead of asking for honour or long life, he asked for wisdom. And guess what? God said, I'm going to give you everything. Wealth, honour, long life, everything. I'm going to give it to you. But what is wisdom? Wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is more than knowledge. There was a professor, Professor Max Born. He's a great scientific giant in the 20th century. In fact, he was a contemporary of Albert Einstein, a good friend of Albert Einstein. During an interview before he died at the age of 87, 1970, he said this, I'll be happier if we have scientists with less brains and more wisdom. Scientists with less brain but more wisdom. Wisdom is different from knowledge. A person that is wise is a person that is skillful in the management of life and also the managed skills in managing human relationships and able to understand and work within the basic laws God has built into creations. These are wisdom. But at the foundation of wisdom is what? What did Solomon say the foundation of wisdom? 
the fear of the Lord. That's the foundation of wisdom, the fear. The recognitions that God is the author and God is the purpose of life. If you want to find meaning in life, you want to find success in life, you have to focus on God. That's the foundations. And Solomon started off well. And later on in the book, there was a story how he applied this wisdom. Those of you who are not familiar, I don't know to re, uh, recall this particular story. There was two prostitutes who stay in the same house and they give birth to baby, two babies. Each one have one. In the middle of the night, one of the mother, the first mother, leaned over and then accidentally killed her own baby. But in the middle of the night, she swapped the baby, a dead baby for the live baby. And they wake up, the second mother wake up, realized that the baby was dead. And then she looked closer, no, that's not her baby. So they brought it before, brought it before Solomon to make a judgment. So what did Solomon did? What did Solomon do? He said, give me the baby. Cut it to half. Each mother will have half. And guess what? The second mother said, no, I don't want to have that. Let the first one have the baby. But the first mother, she said what? Cut it. Cut it. So the king recognized that the second mother is the real mother and gave it the baby to the second mother. That was a record about how Solomon applied his wisdom. He was a great wise man. And then next, Solomon became the ruler. He consolidated his rule. Chapter, we are now at chapter 4, verse 1 to 28. He appointed religious leader so that people can worship the Lord. He appointed governors over 12 districts. And these people are supposed to provide for the king's court. And I believe these are governors are the ones who collect taxes and supervise the, the, the security and later on help up in the building of the temple as well as other building projects. And this was the peak of Israel. Let me read to you. How was it described? First King chapter 4, verse 20 to 21. The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and were happy. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subject all his life. This was the peak. There was success. There was peace. There was security. And another parts of the Bible mentioned the people were eating, drinking, and making merry. This was what God meant to be for His people. Great. And Solomon's wisdom, widespread. Let's look at the next verse, 29 and 30, 32. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashore. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. Despite all this success, unfortunately, Solomon and his reign did not end well. It did not end well. His wives and his concubine led his heart astray. And after that, there was not much mentioned about Solomon in terms of his rulership beside the problems that we have. The question now have before us, what led Solomon astray? Next. What led Solomon astray? He has everything for him. What led him astray? He have a good start. He have a father who worshipped God, a father whose heart is for God. And the father, before he died, even instructed him, Solomon, follow God wholeheartedly. And guess what? God also 
already prophesied, God already mentioned he will be the king and God protected him, made him king. And thirdly, God appeared to him in a dream and asked him, whatever you want, I give it to you. And God answered his prayer. And the prayer that he answered, the wisdom, he experienced it because as he shared with people, people respond. It means that he experienced the answered prayer of the Lord in a very real and tangible way. And then, when he built the temple of the Lord, God appeared to him again second time. How I wish. I want to see the Lord Jesus Christ. God appeared to me in my dream everywhere and, and all the time. And he experienced that. Why is it that he experienced so much good things, yet he was led astray at the later part of his life? What happened? I want to speculate uh, two or three things for us. First of all, is that if you look at King David, the difference between King David and King Solomon. King David, he has good men around him. Prophet Nathan, man who dared to speak into his life. When David committed adultery and murder, it was Prophet Nathan who gained, went and confronted him. And then David also has his general who also spoke up to him. At that time, King, uh, the, the, the commander who executed, just now I mentioned, Joab, at that time when he was good, he spoke against certain things that David's decisions. He dared to talk to David. He, have, he surrounded himself with good men. But if you look at Solomon, don't have. He don't have good men around him. He don't have accountability people. And guess what? In order for us to go strong, we need good men and women around our life. That's why uh, Edwin's message was good. He talks about we need one another. We need one another. And today, in your life, if you don't have men and women whom you have given permissions or you have taken time to build that relationship to help you to stay accountable to one another, we can be on the slippery slope in our life. I'm very thankful for good men God has placed in my life. People like Vincent, people like Edwin, people like Jeffrey, they come and then Daryl waves his hand. Uh, you can find your own. <laughs> uh, these are men that have placed in our lives. God has placed in our life, my life to speak into my life. And I hope that you too also, you will look at your life. It takes time to develop this kind of relationship. Men and women who you have given permission to speak into your life, to help you, to stay accountable, to stay faithful in the Lord. So that's the first possibility. The second one I could think of is that he applied the wisdom on everybody else, but he failed to apply the wisdom on himself. Maybe he was thinking, I'm too wise for my own wisdom. I'm too wise for my own wisdom. And guess what? Because he's so wise, who dared to talk to him? You tell, you tell him certain things, he will reason out why it shouldn't be. And therefore, it's very difficult. And some of us, God has gifted you with wisdom. God has gifted you with a good intellect, a good reasoning. And sometimes you can reason your way out. And then you don't give room for people to speak into your life. I do that sometimes also in my relationship with my wife. Sometimes I will reason with her. I'll give you a possible reason. But she said that, yes, you might be right, but then I don't feel that you are saying there's something that's not right here. And I, I shut that off. But I re actually, I was wrong. 
the reasoning, the wisdom can become a mask, can become an a, a, a sort of excuse. So some of us, God has gifted us, some, you may not think that you are as wise or as smart, but with your brain, God has gifted you. Be careful also. Apply some of these to your life. But the third reason I believe that is really deep down is that something else other than God took His heart away. Something else other than God took His heart away. To understand about these other loves inside Solomon's heart, we need to look at how one's character is developed. Then I'll come back to this. Next. How character developed? Character developed slowly, not suddenly you became like that. Character is fixed on the small choices you make every day. Every day. Let's look at Proverbs. The wise saying written by Solomon himself. Okay, this is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of the evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel in it. Turn from it or go your way. For they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble. Notice there are two parts here. The first part is do not walk. It started by walking. You're making small decisions. And then second part there, they cannot rest. They cannot sleep. Why? Because it become a habit really. They cannot control. become an addiction. It have formed a character. Step by step. My father-in-law used to say this to me. He said this to Hokkien. Those of you who are know Hokkien, you know what Law,只能走出来的. Road is been walked out to become a road. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give you an example. You see here, we all go makan uh, at Huanam or no, Jiu Jiu, the, the, the restaurant, right? You walk, walk past the, the car park lot of this condominium. At the car park lot, you see, before they reach the road, you see a patch of grass, right? Then there is a pathway, but the pathway is a bit jagged. You take a slightly longer way. Most people, the, the quiet, quiet one will walk the, the pathway and then go, but the, I don't know how to describe, the person who is like me, who wants the convenience, we will walk across the, 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 the grass area. And if you look now, right now, is there a pathway on the grass? Yes, there's a pathway on the grass. Soon the pathway becomes a road. Road is walked out. You take a step each day, you make decision each day. Soon, after a while, it becomes a habit, you form your character. That's it. That's how character is formed. You walked it out step by step. And then after a while, you cannot help it. You become a habit. And guess what? Solomon, that's what happened to him. Earlier on in life, he focused on what? Security for himself, power. He get, got rid of his enemy. He had marriage alliances. He formed all this. Instead of trusting God, he trusts on all these means. The end justifies the mean. He go his way. He makes decisions, daily decisions based on the promises. Each step of the way, soon his character is formed. Same way also for you and I. Our character is formed by the daily decisions that we make. Next, where character comes from. Solomon himself wrote this. 
Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Everything in your life stems from your heart. Why? Your heart is what you believe you must have in order to live a joyful life. Your heart is what you believe in your life, in your life that, you, that you must have to live a joyful life. Your heart is where your greatest loves are. It's what that's telling you. If you believe that, if I have that, those things, I will have significance. I will matter. I will worth. I will have worth. Whatever your hearts have determined is your ultimate love. Determines how you will make choices in your life. Let me repeat again. Whatever your heart has determined is your ultimate love. Determines how you will make choices in your life. Every moment, every day. Look at Solomon's life. Where could be his love? I believe it is power and security. Started off from there. That's the love. He wants power. He wants security. That is his love. Later on, it became the love and acceptance of his many, many, many wives. The love and acceptance. That's where his love. That's how his heart got turned away. His character was formed right from the beginning. The questions now for us today. What about you? Solomon, today I, I'm a guest of... These are the loves of his life that form his daily decisions. The same question I also ask myself, what are the loves of my life that determine how I make my daily decisions? What drives me? If I'm not careful, these things that drives me become a road, become my character. If it's not what God intended. So the question now is for us to begin to think about life. Next. How then can our hearts be transformed? How then can our hearts be transformed? The little choices fix our the little choices that we make fix our character, just like I mentioned. And we cannot change our character just by trying harder. It's not by trying harder. Saint Augustine said this next. The key to change is not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. The key to change. It's not the acts of the will, but the loves of the heart. So, Augustine, what he's saying is that the problem of our lives is that we have disordered loves. Our loves may be fine, may be all fine. These are the good things. Security, power, acceptance, these are good things. But it could be in the wrong priority. If you place it in the wrong priority, the top there is not God, then... That's where your heart is going to move towards that particular directions. If you look at Solomon's life, his heart's love is not on God like his father David. You look at David, he made very difficult decisions. Why? Even though it is to his, uh, uh, to his disadvantage. Why? Because God's love captiv captivated his heart. God captivated his heart. So he's no problem. Whereas Solomon, something else, the security, the love for art, of his wife, capture his heart. That's why he, the decisions he makes, you can take note of this. So how can we avoid the error of King Solomon? It's by looking for a greater love of our lives for which we are created for. By looking for one that Solomon is pointing to. 
Who is Solomon pointing to? Next. Let's look at the New Testament now. Luke chapter 11, verse 31. The queen of the south will rise at judgment day with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. But something or someone greater than Solomon is here. Who is that someone? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that someone. Wise people throughout history say that, I will point you to the path of wisdom. Jesus say, I am wisdom. I am the way to wisdom. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does the Word mean? The Word can be translated as reason, can be translated as wisdom. And then it mentioned the Word became man. Jesus Christ, He became man, flesh and blood. You look at Solomon, he was rich, but he used his richness to exploit the people. That when Solomon, when he died, someone took over, the people complained because he exploited them. But what about the Lord Jesus Christ? He was also rich. Let's look at what happened. 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, and that you through his poverty might become rich. He became poor for you, for me. He used his richness set aside in order to serve me. Solomon did not remain true to the end because his heart was on other things other than, other than God. But the Lord Jesus Christ next in Revelation chapter 19 verse 11 say what? He is called faithful and he's called true. He finished the work that the Father has given to him. He did not string back. In fact, at the cross, He bore my foolishness. He bore your foolishness. He bore the whole world's foolishness as well as sin. And He remained there till the end. He was faithful, even though it came at a great cost to Himself. Next. In John chapter 19, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, bearing your sins and my sins, our, our foolishness, He said this, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know the words finished? In Greek, it's called tetelestai. It means what? Paid in full. Paid in full. He paid the debt of sins. Your sin, my sin, in full. He didn't string halfway, all the way. Not because I'm a good person, not because I come to church, not because I'm a pastor, not because I serve God, not because I give, not because I'm faithful, not because of my righteousness, none of all these things. He paid in full, in spite of all these things, in spite of all our failure, He paid in full. And it's still paid in full today for you and for me. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, He took the deep darkness so that we don't have to experience the darkness. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this, I thought I needed to create righteousness. But then I realized Jesus is my righteousness. His goodness become my goodness. That's how much God loves you, how much God is for you, how much Jesus is for you. So how can we have our heart change? Let me end with this quotation. Next. The only way to take our hearts off of one beauty 
is to find a greater re- beauty, a greater heart's desire. It's to replace it with what? What is the greatest heart desire? The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus who died for you. Jesus who paid the price for you. Jesus who cared for you. And that's the way. It's only when this concept, this truth of the gospel, which is in our mind, filtered down into our heart daily basis, and then transformed, it becomes your greater desire. That's how you are changed. Then you will be wise. Then you will be wise. And with that wisdom of a transformed heart, you will make good daily choices who will ultimately shape your character. At the end of the day, you don't have to look back in your life like King Solomon. He looked back at his life. What is he to show except his foreign gods and his failure and his, the kingdom that is about to go down? After him, the nation of Israel was split into two, divided into two because of this guy. And I hope that we don't have to do, go to that. Because today we have something greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. I invite the musicians to come for us. Come forward. And meanwhile, I'd like us to just to bow our heads and go before the Lord in prayer. Let us ask the Lord, Lord, What are the loves that governs my life? That cause me to make my daily decisions? That ultimately form my character right now? Solomon was power, security, love and acceptance of his wives. I don't know about you today. You have to ask the Lord and let the Lord reveal to you. way to take our hearts off of one beauty is to find a greater beauty a greater heart's desire which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ ask the Lord to take the gospel deep down into your heart melt your heart with his love
So cries out, Hallelujah. 
we thank you for the story of Solomon. It points towards you. It shows us that, Lord, how much you meant to us, how much we need you, how much you bore for us. Our debts paid in full, it's full. No more accusations. We are fully accepted by you, fully loved by you, and you love us so much unconditionally. Oh Lord, I pray that today, let this truth to some of us may be just an idea. Filter down deep into our hearts, Father. Overtake our hearts. Let this be the real love. Let this replace any other loves, Father, in our lives that drives us. Any other loves will fall second, third, or way down. But your love will be the first one. Let your love be the one that governs our hearts each day as we make decisions that we will walk our path for you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for being with us today. Thank you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen.